Great to be with you all this morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Ken DeLage. I serve as the senior pastor here. Uh, Tiff and I were uh, gone last weekend for just some great things that we got to do as a family. Uh, but before all that started, we had a day to ourselves. And uh, so we stopped at a nearby town to where we were going called Dayton, Ohio. And uh, in Dayton, Ohio is the Wright Brothers National Museum. And by the way, if you've never had the opportunity to get there, uh, I would recommend it. It's, it's, a, it's a great museum. They do a great job explaining the Wright Brothers and all that they did. But there is one highlight to that museum that was just really neat to see. The whole thing's great. But as you make your way through, you enter this one room which was designed around the Wright airplane. And sitting right in front of you is what's called the Wright Flyer 3. It was the third airplane they ever made. Uh, the first one, they flew down in Kitty Hawk, and that was the first flight. That was Obviously, that's a big deal. Um, that's in the Smithsonian. The second one didn't work too well. They tried to make improvements. It didn't work too well. The third one, they made more improvements, and it worked. And that's the one sitting in front of you there. And this was the, this was the first plane that you might say was ever really flown if flying means doing things like changing your altitude, making turns, doing a figure eight. So they figured out in this actual airplane how to actually fly. And were able to stay up for 40 minutes at a time, which is a giant leap over what they had just achieved down in, in Kitty Hawk before. And, and there it is, right in front of you. The cloth on the wings is new, but everything else is 100% what they put together. So as you look at it, you see the engine, and you see these big chains going up to the propellers, and, and there's these gears there that are on the chains, and you look at those gears and you think, that looks like a, a lot like a bicycle sprocket. And you realize, that's because it was <laughs> a bicycle sprocket in the early 1900s that they said, huh, and they put on the airplane. It's remarkable to get to see that kind of history. And what you see when you look at it is that every detail was made with flying in mind. They didn't like put in cup holders and other little things on the plane. Like every single detail was there because they were trying to build a machine with a purpose. They, they didn't just kind of get together and say, you know, what are we going to do today? Let, let's build something with stuff. Let's, let's pull together a machine. Like, no, they, they had a purpose and a vision that got worked out into this uh, machine in front of you. And you can just tell that it was built to move. It was, it was built to ascend. It was built to fly. Friends, the church has been built with a purpose in mind by God. He, he didn't just say, let's build something. But he... He designed the church to fulfill the mission that he was going to give to the church. He designed us with a clear purpose, just like the Wright brothers. They had a clear purpose of what they were building. The Lord has a clear purpose in what he is building in his church. This morning's message is entitled, Built to Fly, Built to fly. We're continuing a series that we've been in. If you've just joining us or catching back up after vacation, 
uh, called Mercy Hill Values, where we're talking through the values that we share, that we care about as a local church. It's meant to refresh all of us in that and also serve as a new members class for those that haven't become members of Mercy Hill. Um, And this morning, we're going to be talking about how God has built the church to fly. He's built us for mission in mind. He's got a mission for the church, and he's designed us to fulfill that mission, purpose made for the God-given mission he gave us. So we're going to start, if you've got your outline, with number one, the mission. The mission. So if you are going to be, say, a fighter pilot or a, a bomber pilot, you're going to get into an airplane, you're going to take the airplane into battle, before you sit down in the seat, it would be good to know what you're supposed to do once you take off. Like, who are you supposed to bomb? And who are you not supposed to bomb? Who are you supposed to shoot? And who would it be really nice if you didn't shoot at them, right? The, the, the pilot has to have a sense of where the plane is going to go. Friend, God has designed the church with a mission in mind, and he has given us a mission. He's given us a purpose, and he's made it really clear in Matthew 28. And that verse is in front of you, and I want to read that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus talking after his resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission that Jesus gave to his church. It's called the Great Commission. He has commissioned us, his people, to do this. And it really has two parts. If, if, if you look at it, the first part is sort of go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is church expanding work. Go and make disciples and bring them into the church through the visible sacrament of baptism. Go and, and tell people about Jesus. Evangelize. Do what the Krugers are doing in Namibia. So this is, this is the work of making, multiplying disciples. And then the second half is when he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, the, the mission of the church is not simply to make converts. It's to make mature disciples. It's, it's to grow people up in the faith so that we are obedient to all that Christ has commanded us to do so that, so that our faith doesn't stay small but grows to overtake our, our lives and shape our lives under Christ. So that's the mission of the church. And when I talk about the mission, I, I want to take one step back and just acknowledge, I think if we were to say, what is the great purpose of the church? I, I would I would put it one level above this and and say, it's to glorify God. That's the great purpose of the church. That's the mission of the church. But this mission statement tells us how do we do that, right? How do we glorify God? Do we kind of like form a dance team or a gardening group or, you know, like what, what should we do 
functionally to glorify God. And that's this mission statement here. We glorify Christ by fulfilling what he's called us to do in Matthew 28. We've summarized that as a church with our mission statement, which is again in your notes. Our mission is to mature and multiply disciples through the power of the gospel. So we've got two pieces in there, right? We've got the the multiplication piece. That is the evangelism piece. Go, therefore, make disciples piece. And we've got the mature word in there, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And we say through the power of the gospel, because, friends, it's obvious uh, we're not providing the power for this mission. We rely upon the risen Christ who died for his people, who rose again, and who's empowering his church. So I I really like our mission statement. I, I think it effectively captures what we're called to do, mature and multiply disciples through the power of the gospel. But while I was gone last week to another church, and I don't go to other churches very often, but while I was there, they articulated this in a really easy to remember way that I wanted just to say, you know what this means? Let's just back up. What does it mean? What what are we actually called to do? We want to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. There we go. Let's be disciples who make disciples who then make disciples who then make disciples who then make disciples, right? This is what we're called to. This is what the church's mission is. So God's designed us to fulfill the 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 mission that he's given us. So then how is the church designed? That's what we're going to look at now. What are the pieces and parts of the airplane? How did God put us together? What are the the main structural components? And the first one, point number two, is members. Members. Now, this almost should go without saying. The mission of the church belongs to the people of the church. God commissioned his people to do this. It is, and, and all of us are members. All of us are, are members in, in the sense of all of us being members of the body of Christ. Those who have turned to Christ are members of his body. And he's given the mission of a local church then to the members of that local church to carry out and to fulfill. So members do the mission. So members mature and multiply disciples through the power of the gospel. Members are called to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So then I just wanted to take a, a few minutes. and What does that look like? How, how, are, how are we engaging in that as a church? And what can that look like for you as you engage as a part of this church? Three different uh, contexts that I'm going to point out. And all of these involve, I think it, it just might be the word intentionality, but intentional relationships built around God's word. Intentional relationships built around God's word. The first context is right here. It's Sunday mornings where we can, we can gather together. And, and a big part of all of these contexts is that we're growing in these contexts, right? Part of being a disciple who makes disciples is, is we're running after Christ. We're seeking to grow. We want to be more mature in him. And so we, we gather together on a Sunday where we can worship the Lord together, where we can receive the grace that comes to us through communion, where we can repent of our sins as we 
encounter the Lord, where we can submit to His Word as the Word is preached, where we can celebrate Jesus before God when, when things are going well and when we can trust Jesus before the Lord when things aren't going as well. So there's a growth component for us, obviously, but it's not just us. We gather for corporate worship, right? We gather to do this together, and, and some of that's by serving each other, right? We had the worship team up here that had practiced this week and, and a long time before that as well so that they could serve us well in leading us in worship. We've got sound and projection going right now in the back so that we can, we can hear the word preached and we can, we can see the things that, that help draw our attention to God's word. There are folks right now caring for the kids in the back and, and teaching them about Jesus Christ. There's the ushers that prepared communion early this morning so that we could take it later on today. There were the greeters that were greeting folks as they came in multiple ways that we get to begin to serve each other as disciples. And then there's the reality that we're, we're giving to the mission, that together we're, we're contributing together so that there's a kind of financial support for the, the mission that God has called us to. That we're, that we're putting our, our money where we want to see kingdom growth happen. And in all these ways, we're doing it relationally. So, you know, you think about, for example, the greeters. It's not just we want some kind of, what, good Mercy Hill corporate feel when people come in, so we're putting greeters there. You know? it's, it's, it's the opportunity to meet people. And begin to start relationship so that they feel known and, and welcomed. And then there's the kind of just conversations that are happening that we always have to interrupt up here, that Sean always has to interrupt in order to get church started because everybody's talking, catching up with each other, encouraging each other in God's word. And then you think of the worship team. And yeah, they've got a mission that they do in leading worship, but they get to do it together. And they're building relationships with each other. And hopefully in the back, the, the teachers are getting to know those little kids that they're caring for and getting to know their, the folks that they are working with as they do it. And then as we scatter after the service, continuing to just intentionally build with each other. These are the disciples we're called to be investing in. So we're building relationships with each other. Second context, we take that into care group. And, and we've got the same two things happening. We're able to grow in that context, and we're able to help others grow in that context. So we're there, we're there around God's word, seeking to apply God's word. And friend, if you go in that context and you seek to apply God's word, God's going to meet you and you're going to grow. That's what's going to happen. You're, you're there, you're, you're praying together, you're going to grow. But I tell you what, every time you show up and, and you're talking about how you're struggling to apply God's word here, Someone else is growing from you. And you're sharing a sin that the Lord has brought to your mind that you're repenting of. Someone else is being encouraged by that. And, and you're, bringing, you're bringing a strength that you have to the group and you're using it to bless the group. And that's growing other disciples in Christ. And you're bringing weaknesses in too. And this is humbling. And God is using our weaknesses around each other to encourage each other. You know what? I can show up and be weak too in this group. It's a, it's a safe place to come and to grow. And so God begins to use the, 
the courage he's given you and the faith he's given you and the suffering that he's given you to build up other disciples in that context. So the third context then is the rest of life. <laughs> it's the rest of life. It's, it's all of life. And here's, here's the reality. We're not off the clock, right? I mean, he gave, our Lord and King and Master gave us a mission. And it wasn't just a Sunday and Tuesday night mission. It's an all of life, all the time. Lord, help me be here to serve. Lord, help me be here to invest in others, to be a disciple who makes disciples, who makes disciples. That works with other believers as you get together throughout the week. Let care group be not the top bar, but just sort of the entry threshold of relationships in Mercy Hill. You build relationships there that then get carried on in other contexts at other times throughout the week. Maybe it's with a group of ladies that you're meeting together to, to pray or study God's word together. Maybe there's some practicing hospitality. Maybe, you've, maybe you walked through something 10 years ago that now somebody else is walking through a crisis and you're able to counsel them. Maybe you're bringing your crisis to someone a little further in the faith and asking them to pray and counsel you able to walk out life with other believers intentionally, knowing that God has called us to be disciples who are investing in other disciples, making other disciples. That's true when we're together with believers, and that's true when we're together with unbelievers as well. And it's not that different, friend. We can practice hospitality with people that don't know Jesus and invite them into our homes and get to know them and, and, and allow them to experience some, something of the love of Christ imperfectly shown through our imperfect lives. So we, we practice hospitality. We pray for them. If the relationship's right, we pray with them. Can I pray with you for what you're walking through? A simple way to go that doesn't work in every relationship, but as you're building relationship, ask an unbeliever, would would you want to just get together and study God's word? And sit down and read a chapter of John together and let God work. Answer questions you can. Tell them you don't know the answer to what you can't answer. But allow God to work through his word as we spread the fragrance of Christ to those around us. Okay, so that's the mission of the church and we are all called to it in every context. We've got our, our big two as a church that help us be equipped to do it in, in Sundays and care groups, but then it spreads to all of life. All right, now, there are also two specific offices that Christ has given to the church to assist in this mission, to help in this mission. And the first, number three, is deacons. Deacons, and we're just about to flip to, to page two in your notes. Deacons are qualified servants that coordinate ministry. So don't think that deacons are the ones that do ministry. Now, deacons are called to do ministry, sure, but not uniquely from you. Ministry belongs to the members of a church. It doesn't belong to the deacons. Deacons are called to a coordinating aspect where they coordinate ministry. Qualified servants that coordinate ministry. They're qualified, 1 Timothy 
chapter 3 lists the qualifications. You have them there in your notes. Character qualifications that Scripture requires. And then they coordinate ministry. And we see this in Acts chapter 6. The, the very early church was doing some really good stuff. They were, they were uh, evangelizing those around them. Many were becoming saved. And they were recognizing some real needs in their community that they were trying to meet. And in particular, there were a lot of widows that needed help putting food on the table. And so the church just began to do the work of the church and to put food on the table for widows in their community. But there was a problem. Because basically what they were doing is helping out their their friends. And when you step back and looked at the whole church, that meant that a whole group of people was being neglected in that daily giving of food. And it unfortunately happened around ethnic lines. It was a ethnicity being neglected by the church. And all of a sudden, that becomes um, anti-gospel. The gospel is the gospel to all tribes, tongues, people, nations. Christ is the Lord of every race. And so all of a sudden, there was some concern, some problem, some tension began to, to happen. And so the elders got together and, and called the church together and said, hey, we need somebody to coordinate this. And they set apart seven faithful brothers to coordinate the ministry. And these were the first deacons. And they, they began to coordinate that. And all of a sudden, what had been good work, but haphazardly done, had a God-given and God-glorifying unity and purpose and direction, and people weren't left out, and, and the mission moved forward, and the church advanced. So... At Mercy Hill, we have both men and women deacons, and we have two basic categories of deacons. We've got deacons of care and deacons of administration. Both of them coordinate ministry. So deacons of care, these would be our our care group leaders and their wives. Uh, Both of them are are deacons of care. The care group leader has the responsibility from the pastor to to be the primary one helping the, the care group care for one another. And the, and the uh, care group leader's wife to be ministering to and helping the other ladies minister to each other. So particularly called to the ladies in that care group, but also to the ladies more broadly in the church. We also have a couple other deacons of care. We've got uh, a deacon to, of, of benevolence that is seeking to, to care for needs in our community, needs within the church, really often financial needs or, or, or those types of things very similar to what Acts chapter 6 was, was facing. Um, and we've got two deacons to the sick that are particularly about connecting with and making sure that those who are sick aren't falling off the radar, that they're being prayed for, they're being remembered, they're, they're having their needs met as we as a church have the opportunity to do that. I'm really grateful that God has given us deacons to coordinate this kind of ministry within the church. Again, it doesn't mean that it's up to them to do it all, but they're the ones that help us do it in a way that's coordinated and isn't dropping folks along the way. And and then we've got our deacons of administration, uh, and and these folks are helping do more of the background stuff that needs to happen at a church. You you, you need to have a facility of some sort, and having somebody that's that's looking over that and making sure that it's, it's well cared for, well-maintained, that's, that's an important thing that we, we steward that 
resource. We've got two deacons helping with kind of operations. So we've got one that does operations just on Sunday, because that's got a lot going on. And then another one that's covering everything else, all the other operations stuff in the church. And I'm so grateful for these men and how they've helped actually take some load off of my shoulders and help us walk forward in excellence as a church together. So that's deacons. Number four, pastors. Pastors, uh, pastors are, a call, are called to equip the saints. The role of pastor has many different facets to it, but I don't think it's a bad one to boil it down and, and to say that the pastor's role is to equip disciples. Uh, if you had to pick one word, I think that's a good one word to use. Ephesians chapter 4, which is in your notes, says that they are called to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Notice again, it is not the pastor's job to do the work of ministry, but rather to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not that if you're a pastor, you still gotta, you're still a member. You still do the work of ministry as a member. But I, one of the titles that more modern church has given to pastors is called minister, which isn't in the Bible. And I don't really like it because that kind of has an implication that they're the ones doing the ministry. And that inverts the scriptural model. Pastors are, are to serve the saints as the saints do the ministry. They're, they're almost taken off the front lines to equip the soldiers that are on the front lines doing the work of, of ministry. So, so they're called to equip disciples. How do they do that? There's a caring component to that. First Peter 5 calls pastors or elders to shepherd the flock of God. That's, that's a very, that's a, that's a nurturing picture, right? In fact, the, the word pastor is a translation of the Greek office, the, the, the Greek word in the New Testament. The Greek word is simply shepherd. There was, there was no other word. But in English, I suppose we felt a need to distinguish between people shepherds and sheep shepherds. And so we started calling people shepherds pastor, and sheep shepherds could still be shepherds. I think that's what happened. I don't really know why we made up another word called pastor. It's it's a fine word, and we all understand it, but I I just want to land how intimately that word is connected to caring for God's people, because that's what it means. It means to shepherd. Pastors are called to feed the church with truth. 2 Timothy 4, where Paul exhorts Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Give God's people truth. This is how sheep grow as we eat beside still waters. The other side of that, going over to page 3, is protect the church from error. Protect the church from error. So here's a passage in Acts chapter 20. Is the church ever prone to error? If you've ever studied church history, my goodness, it's crazy. It's remarkable to see all the different errors. It's almost like the church has an enemy. I mean, it sure looks like it. Here's how Paul said it in Acts chapter 20. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves 
will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. There is a... We have an enemy who is attempting to draw people away from Christ. And he uses false teaching to do that. And so pastors are called to protect the church from that, number one, by feeding them truth. So we have a steady diet of what's true. And then also helping lead in discernment of error. So we're able to see, oh, wait, yeah, that's not the voice of Jesus, is it? There's something wrong about what's being said there. Next piece, pastors are called to govern the church. First Peter 5, again, which had just said, shepherd the flock of God. It now says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. I, I love the fact that when God lays out in First Peter that pastors are called to lead the church, that he puts the context of leadership as shepherding, that it's a caring, nurturing kind of leadership. And he goes right on to say, not domineering over those, but doing it joyfully as to the Lord. So at Mercy Hill, we've, we believe that God uh, calls men to be pastors. Um, I'll refer you back to Sean's message uh, to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, but because of the governing leadership office of it, we believe it's men and not all men. There are biblical qualifications found in 1 Timothy and in Titus. So it's, it's qualified, but not all qualified men. There are a lot of men qualified to be elders, but also called. There's, a, there's an internal calling from God that's verified by a local church, that an external verification of that inward calling. Do you know how safe that is? It's so good. The local churches don't push men into being pastors. Jesus better call you, right? But then individuals don't get to set themselves up either because the, the Holy Spirit speaks to the church as well. And there's a verification. Yes, we do believe this one is called that, that, that happens. So, uh, yeah, so qualified, called, ordained men. Um, can be full-time or part-time. I'm full-time. Sean's part-time, but that's, that's how much time we put in. doesn't delineate like a difference in the office. We're both called to the same thing. We're both called to be pastors. Okay, so there's the structure of the church. It's pretty simple. There's, there's really like members, and that's, the va- that's, that's everybody in the church, right? It's the vast majority. And then there's deacons coordinating and, and pastors called to equip Disciples to make disciples to make disciples. Okay, I could stop there. That, that's, that's, a good, that's a good picture. There's the airplane. Everybody see the right flyer three? Right, here's the airplane. God's designed this to do mission. God's designed this to, to um, make disciples in, in lands that, we, that, that don't have disciples yet and in our neighborhoods as well. But I want to I press one step further in this and end with number five, the squadron, the squadron, because I don't think local churches are at their best when they're flying alone. I think local churches are stronger 
when they come together as squadrons of planes, so to speak. So you have, you have such a nerdy pastor. I, I apologize for this. I, you know, you just can't help being you. So I'm reading a book on World War II in the Pacific and uh, just got to the point where the Allies had retaken the, the island of Guam. And that, that positioned them for the first time to be able to begin to, to bomb the Japanese homeland. And this was something they had been quite eager to do since December 7th, three years prior. And, and so that first bombing raid, they took a long time getting ready. And when they first set out on the first bombing raid from Guam to the home islands of Japan, they sent over 100 planes together at once. Why? Why not just say, okay, we got one, send it. We got another, send it. There's multiple reasons why it is better to be together. There's, there was a, a kind of helping each other in navigation over 1,500 miles of Pacific Ocean that they had to just figure their way across in order to even get to where they were going. So there's a help with navigation. There's the ability, once you get there, to bomb multiple targets, to do far more than what one plane could do. There's, there's the... Um, Happiness, I suppose, of sharing an enemy fire. Uh, if you're the only plane over the target, they only have one plane to shoot at. <laughs> but if you flood the skies, there's a kind of safety in numbers. And then having engaged in combat with the enemy, there's a kind of let's get safely home together as well as they help each other navigate their way back to the airfield or the ship. Friend, our squadron as a local church is called Sovereign Grace Churches. A small denomination that we've been a part of since the beginning. They planted us here 13 years ago next month. Uh, we exist because they saw the opportunity to plant a church where the gospel would go forward in Spotsylvania County. I praise God for that. We wouldn't exist without them. Um, but I think of I think of how a squadron works, and there's safety in navigation. And, and I think there's two pieces to that. There's, there's a safe navigation when it comes to doctrine. Let me paint a picture for you. Imagine a church where, where the elders feel like they're called to lead, but the elders begin to lose the Bible. Uh, that's really dangerous for the church. What do you do in a church where there's like one pastor or maybe a couple that, and, and they, be, they begin to drift? What, what were to happen if, if I were to begin to say, you know what, I'm not so sure about the Trinity. Let's explore this. Oh. I can tell you the first thing's going to happen. Sean's just going to tackle me. And <laughs> but in Sovereign Grace, we have adopted together a statement of faith together that says, this is where we're going. And if one of us begins to deviate, the others are going to speak up. Say, yo, you're flying in the wrong direction. You're not going to get to the target if you fly off in that direction. Let's stay together. And in fact, if I were to begin teaching false doctrine, sovereign grace would get very loud warning you against me. Praise God for that. That's a good thing. Because as Acts 20, 28, which we just read, talked about, about fierce wolves rising up, 
Here was the reality. Paul was saying, elders, protect the flock. But elders, the wolves are coming from you. Fierce wolves will arise from among you. It is very dangerous for a church to be led by a wolf. And so praise God that we have a group of churches that stand around us, that protect us. The other kind of safe navigation is in life. Uh, A pastor can err in doctrine, but he can also err in life and, and perhaps begin walking out public sin. And again, to have the structures in place so if you see that, you got somewhere to go. First of all, come to the other pastor, whichever one you're not concerned with. But then we've got this, this, well, it's a book of church order that just kind of explains how to do this stuff. And we're going to help each other where other pastoral teams can come in and, and help figure things out. There's, listen, churches have problems. There's, two, there's actually two here. One is that pastors go off the rails and there's not much the church can do about it. And that's devastating for a church. The other is false accusations against pastors that then happen and have just the same destructive impact on a church. And so to have a kind of clarity of what do we do if someone has a concern, like that there's a already processes in place, this is stuff I hope we never need. And I'm really glad we have. It's important. So there's safe navigation when you're in a squadron. There's an ability to advance on the enemy and bomb multiple targets. I love this. You know what we get to do because we're not the only airplane in formation? You know we just helped Ukraine with the gift that you all gave over the last couple weeks? How did... What? Which of us again knows... None of us here that I know of has any connections in Ukraine, but we do have a sister church on the ground in Ukraine that we can get right next to and support and say, yes, we love what you're doing and we're going to suffer with you. You're not going to suffer alone. We're going we're to give over here to help you as you give over there. We've got a pastor's college started in the last two years in Ethiopia raising men up to preach God's word in a language I have no idea what they're saying. But I know they're saying the gospel. There's this church over there that's supporting this pastor's college, and we're able to partner with that church. We're able to partner with the Krugers. You know the missionaries we sent to Southeast Asia, and by the grace of God, we have gotten to play an outsized role. As a little church in sovereign grace, uh, we, we sent, we, the, the folks we sent, and you know I don't use their name because of security for them, right? The folks we sent are rock stars in sovereign grace. Every sovereign grace church knows and loves them. But let me tell you what, we would never have been able to send them alone. It takes far more financial resources than we had to launch that plane into the air but multiple churches coming together, we were able to bomb more targets as we're heading over there. So there's a, there's a partnership. There's a partnership in planting churches in the U.S. We're the fruit of that. And now we're getting to invest in other church plants. There are two Chinese-speaking church plants in the U.S. starting up this year, Charleston and Houston. And we're able to help that. 
Glory to God. What a neat thing. So we're, we're helping throughout the U.S. We're able to partner in overseas missions together. We're partnering to raise up future pastors through the Pastors College here in the U.S. Um, we don't feel the return on that investment very often. I went there. I praise God that other churches gave so that I could go there. And now we're able to give, and maybe other churches will be strengthened as men are equipped to be pastors in other churches. So we get to advance on the enemy, and finally, a safe flight home. It hurts to engage with the enemy. You take fire. You take shots. I've watched that in this denomination over and over again. And I am grateful for other churches that are flying back together, administering first aid to each other, encouraging each other. You know what I hear from pastors outside of Sovereign Grace all the time? You've probably heard this, that they're lonely. That's a strategy of the enemy. And I got to tell you, by God's grace, we're not. Because we're flying in formation other brothers. You've met several of them over the past couple weeks as they came here and preached just so I could go on vacation. Praise God. We're going to have Josh Kruger Sr. coming up in a couple weeks as well. Why does he care about the mission in Spotsylvania? But we're partnered together. so he want, he, He's rejoicing to come up and build us up so that we can be disciples that make disciples that make disciples right here. So that relational support. But but I love the picture of the squadron because at some point, it gets to land. It gets home. And it's, it's not in a battle anymore. You know, one day the church is going to take her boots off and not going to be in a, a war anymore. Not going to be on a mission anymore. One day, it's going to be trading this Fatigues for the wedding dress, for sitting down with our Lord and Master around the table that He set for us. What a day that's going to be. What a day. And He's called us to help each other get there, to fly home, to get safely home. I went to a funeral yesterday, and it's fresh in my mind. That, that, that day is coming for each of us. And the Lord's given us each other to fly back safely. And I praise Him for it. 